Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, White Sox fans. It's Brett Valentini here hosting... Dugout metrics, number four. And I gave these guys a deadline of late May to do our next. So we're like two months ahead. It's late March and we're already coming right back at you with number four. We've got Trevor Lines. He got kicked out of the game room, I think, but uh, former Knight, uh, straight out of Lexington, right? Haven't moved back to Louisville, right? Uh, back to Louisville, yep. right? Yeah, I got a few more days in Lexington and then I'll be back in Louisville. All right. Uh, former uh, college middle infielder. We've got current college, I think still left fielder. I don't think they bumped him around yet. It's Luke Smales coming straight out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Welcome, Luke. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. And I'm just your humble host. Never really got to have an official NCAA at bat, but did play a number of B, B games at TCU. I'm a horn frog, including a game at shortstop nice. completely wearing Chuck Taylor's doo-doo wardrobe malfunction. So yeah, I got some stories too. Not as cool as these guys. They're the dugout metrics dudes. And we're going to get right into it because it's been a big couple of days, unfortunately. Let's start with the unfortunately part. And that is Eloy Jimenez battles an outfield wall, loses again. We learned today, the probably the absolute worst case scenario, given a lot of people are just open, hey, some sort of dislocated shoulder, but an actual torn pectoral muscle, apparently as he was hanging on the wall, going after a ball that was good 10 feet away from him to be able to catch. He's out likely, I got to say, it really does seem probably for this season. There does seem a chance with the prognosis that he maybe gets back and gets himself in shape for maybe last two, three weeks of a regular season or a postseason but that's a bizarre situation where you're rushing a guy in who hasn't played all year. So, I mean, at this point, 
lower expectations and realize it might be 2022 for Alloy. Guys, just right off the bat, reaction to the circumstances. I definitely got some stuff I want to hit you up with as players and talk directly to this uh, circumstance. But your reactions, first of all? For me, yeah, just... Super unfortunate. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, Trevor. But, no, you're good. You're yeah, good. it's just it's uh it's super unfortunate just given the nature of the play. Like the, you really had no shot of catching that ball, and even if he did, it's it's spring training. Um, yeah, it's just you know we kind of joked about it that he's becoming a you know for himself. He's he's getting himself hurt in the outfield, and then you know it's just a matter of time where it's a big enough injury where it's season ending now. So. Um, it's a huge blow to the middle of the lineup and, uh, you know, it just, it just stinks. Yeah. The nature in which it happened is just super, super unfortunate. Yeah. I would echo that. That's pretty much summarizing exactly what I was feeling about it. It's just such a freak, such a fluky thing. And it always seems to happen to Aloy out there. Um, and I know a lot of people are of the impression that he kind of does it to himself with some of the stuff that he does out there and he's a hazard to himself, but some of the stuff you just, it's a fluky thing that happens and uh, it just seems like he's snake bitten out there right now. Now uh, in some of Rickon's comments today, I think something that came out and I'll give Rick some credit here. I think it's sort of taken, not necessarily out of context, but I think what he said maybe doesn't, it doesn't really tell the whole story, but essentially implied that no one has written, no one has yet. And only when he comes back, will he sort of be talked to about like, Hey, you really got to tone this down and, and you have to adjust the way you play left field. Now that can't really be the case, but I guess, first of all, your thoughts on that, but really both of you guys, you're uh, Trevor, just coming off of your college career, Luke, you're still playing. Um, put yourself in the shoes. Obviously you both, Trevor's a middle infielder. Luke, I'm just going to assume a little smoother out there in left field. Uh, but put yourself in a guy, a guy like Aloy's shoes, and and how much of a challenge would it be to to you know so called you know just be the signpost out there in left field? Obviously, instincts kicking into a degree. But on the other hand, part of your baseball IQ at some point is to know to to know your ability to to know what your physical skills are. Yeah, it's got to be hard for him because, you know, he's grown up and being taught to play hard all the time. You know, you always give give 110%, especially coming up in the minor leagues. You're always trying to impress someone with your effort um, and your intent. And even from a, from a front office standpoint, how you even pass that down to a coaching staff and as a coaching staff, how you relay that to Aloy saying, hey, we, you know, we want you to try, but we really don't want you to try. We don't want you to get hurt. So then – he starts probably thinking a little bit too much out there and he sees a ball and well, do they really want me to go hard after that one? Is that one they want me to lay off? So it's tough for him to, you know, kind of, kind of rationalize that. Um, you know, even though the the play he got hurt on the other day, maybe is an exception, like, Hey, the ball is probably 10, 15 feet beyond the fence. And it was almost like he was jumping up there just to kind of, just to almost kind of do it. Right. And then he got his glove or his wrist kind of caught. And then he had, you know, 230 pounds of weight just kind of hanging on that one arm. So um, that's the kind of stuff that you just wish um, wouldn't happen. And it's absolutely amazing that he's gotten himself hurt as much just doing stuff like that as he has in, in just a couple seasons. Yeah. It's a really slippery slope when you sell, when you tell someone to shut it down or not try 
he's already so, so bad out there trying his absolute hardest. Um, you know, his 2019, he was 10 runs below average um, as far as his play out there. 2020, some of it had to do with Luis Robert taking some of his <laughs> fly balls, but he was on track to be even worse in a full season. Um, so, and that's with him trying his absolute hardest. So he's already, you know, one of the worst outfielders out there and outfield defense is really getting prioritized more than ever in the major leagues with the way that launch angle is taking over and players are consciously trying to hit the ball in the air. It's becoming more important than ever. So to tell one of your outfielders, Hey, just shut it down. Only catch the things that are right at you it really puts you in a tough situation. So I don't necessarily know if that's the answer, but like I said, it's one of those things where he can't be hurting himself over and over again. And a lot of it is just tough luck. I think Um, I don't necessarily know if there's enough information out there to really say, Hey, he's a harm to himself out there. I think that there still is a, a good chance. And kind of what I, what my belief is, is, some of it is just a coincidence, a, a tough coincidence for the Sox fans to swallow, but a kind of a, a fluky type thing. All right, playing off of that, Trevor, I guess I can anticipate what your answer might be here. But okay, he's 24 years old. He's played uh, a lot of innings in left field at a major league level. And yes, despite some of the stuff being fluky, even if he's gone a stretch of 10, 20, 30, 50 games without injury, it's always an adventure. And it's not to say he hasn't made good plays. I remember him when he first came up, he made a play taking a, I think he barehanded a ball off the wall. Shockingly quick return into the infield for him. And I thought, Holy cow, this guy might be an average left fielder. Who knows? Maybe he can be better than that. And pretty much since then it's looked worse. Um, So even taking, putting aside the fact that this guy is needed in the lineup for 150 plus games that bats needed. Uh, and something probably is going to happen at this point, fluky or not, that's going to take him out. Let's just say for 10 games a year, because he's playing in, in the outfield. At what point at age 24 now, 25, when he comes back, uh, do the White Sox have to acknowledge that this might not just be up to him? Ricky Renneria all last year talked about the fact that, Eloy took it, you know, he took it as an insult. It was a point of pride for him not to get pulled late in games. He wants to be a guy who's not going to get defensive subbed. Which any player wouldn't want that. It's, at what point does it get taken out of Eloy's hands and the White Sox sets to step in and say, listen, we have put a significant investment in this guy. We know what he can do, even if it's a diminished value in terms of war uh, as a DH, as a young DH, at least he's playing those 150, 160 games. Uh, and is that going to come as soon as when he returns later this year or in 2022 when the White Sox say, all right, here's the new plan? Yeah, I mean, you linked me to a really good article that I wasn't aware of that Joe Reeses did um, in 2019 in regards to the difference between a DH versus a left fielder and whether the sacrifice is worth it. Um, and just to give a little bit of insight into that, um, the difference basically in war is 10 runs um, as far as like the positional adjustment for war calculation goes between a left fielder, a corner outfielder and a DH. Um, As I mentioned in 2019, he was 10 runs worse than average out there in left field. So basically you could have stuck him at DH and it would have made no difference if you had an average left fielder out there. 
um, based on the eye test, to me, he looked like he did have a little bit of improvement last year. I didn't think he was quite as bad as what I remember from 2019. Um, but even if he's eight runs below average, that negligible difference of him sitting in the DH spot and trying to remain healthy uh, might, as you mentioned, might be worth it. It just is tough with the White Sox and the way that the structure of the team is. They have so many of those DH types. It's going to be tough to figure out how to get Aloy into that full-time DH role when you have an aging Jose Abreu, you have Andrew Vaughn, you have a catcher in Yasmani Grandal that you want to keep in the lineup even when he's not behind the plate. So that does make it tough to have Aloy clog in that DH hole. Um, we'll see what happens this year and, you know, how they proceed with that left field spot and see if things take care of themselves there. But it'll be interesting next offseason to see how they go with it. Okay, Luke, you're a smart dude. Uh, tell us you figured out the solution. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the way I've looked at it is, uh, you know, Aloy would probably be the left fielder until uh, Jose Abreu moves on. Uh, whether that be he retires or, you know, the Sox cut ties with him and he signs uh, somewhere else, which is kind of tough because we know how much they like Vaughn. Um, and Vaughn was uh, pre- pretty much well slated to be the DH this year. Um, so it, it puts Aloy and the Sox in a tough position where they probably know, hey, this guy, we have enough evidence that he needs to be a DH, but we just, you know, we can't do it right now, which is why we talked about, I think, a couple podcasts ago, um, about maybe the notion of trading Vaughn before wouldn't be that crazy just because Aloy needs to be a DH, uh, maybe trading Vaughn for like a, an ace type starting pitcher, but they've shown that they're very committed to Vaughn and uh, they think he can do anything because now he might be the new left fielder. So I was go. just going to say in a very strange way, it's just solved itself. Cause I think we have a new left fielder. Yes. Tomorrow, in his first professional game at left field, and I'm going to guess he probably didn't play it at the college uh, level either, Andrew Vaughn is starting in left yeah, field didn't. and apparently yes. will play all weekend uh, until camp breaks. We only got three games left. Uh, so he, your, your White Sox left fielder for the remainder of Cactus League play is Andrew Vaughn, who has never played left field in his life, which it's an entirely separate podcast to talk about how curious it is for a team, any team wanting to protect its young players. And let's face it, Andrew Vaughn isn't exactly the typical young player. He's a high profile college bat and he's taken on any uh, challenge the White Sox have given him and he wants to do this, but, oh, wow. Uh, jumping from a plus ball to the majors was already something that scared everybody. How can he be the DH? Now he's not the DH. He may be the left fielder. So I guess let's talk about what in the world the solutions could be to this, given the fact that Adam Engel is already sidelined, who would have been clearly the guy slotting in at left, and somehow you're going to have Adam Eaton playing pretty much all the time, maybe subbing out a little bit for Leori uh, in right field. Uh, the the depth, and I would argue the failure offseason by GM Rakan has reared its head before the season has even begun. And it's, it's a shame to have to be a little bit down going into a season that we're all very excited about, but listen, this is why that roster spot 20 to 26 is so crucial and why the Sox seemingly punting on it when you're talking about the, the, even the mid to the end of your rotation and the bench it's incomplete. And though you're not going to anticipate 
a couple injuries like this before opening day even comes. What if it does? If you're a team that's aspiring to a pennant, I think you got to shore up a little bit better than, God bless you, Nick Williams, than running Andrew Vaughn out there into left field. Um, guys, what is this solution going to be? What do you see the, this Vaughn experiment ending up as? Because I don't think it's a given that it's going to be better than Eloy, even in terms of the safety out there, much less the defensive ability. Yeah, I think the good news for Vaughn is that he doesn't have a super high bar to clear uh, defensively. Um, so as long as he's a not hurting himself and B it's not affecting his offense. Um, you know, let's say that he can pass out there. Then we have the opportunity for my guy, Zach Collins to finally get his shot. The team leader in OPS right now for, um, for the Sox and Cactus league play. And fittingly he homered today. Um, so maybe that is a sign that he is finally going to get his shot. Um, I have the, the numbers in front of me. He's hitting 333 with a 429 on base, 528 slug. Uh, so 956 OPS leads the team. So maybe he finally gets um, gets his shot here. Um, and maybe you see Vaughn play left field against righties with Collins as a DH. And then against left-handers, um, you see Garcia, Larry Garcia in left, and then Vaughn can kind of, get that time at DH uh, with, with Eaton maybe now playing uh, both against lefties and righties as long Luke, as angles out. Luke, that was a very professional slide in of your guy, Zach Collins. And a question that didn't necessarily address him at all. You put him front and center. Yep. I'm surprised you're not running him out there maybe to play left. Okay. Trevor yeah. <laughs> um, solutions that might not quite focus on Zach Collins, although great point brought up by Luke and Hey, listen, deserving the guys hit the crap out of the ball. And he, and he clearly has made a case, a deserving case to break camp, three catchers or not, to break camp with this White Sox team. But that aside, we still got we got a hold in left field. And right now we're filling it with Andrew Vaughn. And I'm not sure I'm less frightened than when Eloy was out there. Yeah, it's almost unbelievable that that right now with the way the roster is constructed is the probably best solution is to stick a guy that's never had a game of experience in the outfield in his entire life, at least from college on, he had 10 pitching appearances in college and that was 10 more than he had in the outfield um, into the major leagues in the outfield as he's trying to figure out major league pitching as well. But that, as Luke mentioned, that probably is the solution um, unless you want to look outside the organization um, via some guys that are still on the market or some, potential trade candidates um that seems to be the internal solution if that's where they're going to go touching on zach collins i'm a huge zach collins guy too i love the fact that he, he walks so much and he's your three tr true outcomes type guy and he has been tearing the cover off the ball this spring um one issue that zach collins has in the past throughout his minor league career um very streaky so he can flip the switch and take a month and a half of production and kind of make that count for the whole year and then be ice cold for other stretches. So I, I love the fact that he's hot right now, but it just is another question mark out there. It seems like that injury just opened up a whole bag of question marks and chips that need to fall into place um, and kind of break the White Sox way. Um, you need Vaughn to be passable in the outfield. You need Vaughn to be able to hit at the major league level. You need Collins to, 
show that what he's done this spring isn't a fluke and, you know, consistently bring that throughout the year, um, you're probably going to need some of these ceases and the Michael Kopacks to break out in order to make up for some of that lost offensive production. So it really has opened up a, a whole can of worms and, you know, we'll see what happens, but it's definitely made their margin for error a lot more thin. It's funny. Uh, Billy Hamilton's name hasn't even come up yet. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about some good White Sox news that got completely swallowed up by the horrible Eloy Jimenez news today. Uh, and we're going to maybe try to, if we have time to shore up or have a little take on what we think the roster is going to look like once they break camp on Sunday, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, White Sox fans, if you're watching us on YouTube, hey, nothing happened. No break at all. We're back. We're back real quick because that's how important all this information on dug dugout metrics is to get to you. It's Luke Smales and Trevor Lines. And now we're going to talk about some good news. Uh, thankfully, Trevor had a nice piece handy that he wrote as his very first piece on Southside Sox about a year ago, a year and change ago, about Oscar Colas who is a two-way player out of Cuba. The Cuban pipeline is stronger than ever. Funneling player, basically all the Cubans is, is the, the slogan that the White Sox can play. And I think it's somewhat legit because they're not missing on many. Uh, the, the news is he has decided, obviously, we already knew that he was sitting out his signing period uh, that just passed, and he's going to wait to sign next January with the White Sox. That's the report going to take up about half of the bonus money the White Sox have, which I think is an incredible bargain. The White Sox will hand that over as quick as possible. We don't know a lot about the guy other than the fact that he, he has played professionally in Japan. Two-way guy. Trevor, you wrote about him. I'm going to hand it off to you. This is great news, I think. I think we can all agree this is wonderful news. Uh, but give us a little bit of insight on him. You, you scouted him a little bit for that article and uh, just to share a little bit with us. Yeah, I'd like to be able to brag a little bit more about calling it a year, year and a half in advance. <laughs> but with the way that the White Sox have that Cuban pipeline, I think the writing was on the wall and everyone kind of was expecting him, the, the White Sox to be his top potential destination. Um, but it's cool that, you know, it actually happened and uh, that article is not going to go to waste or go to a different fan base. But um, basically, there was very limited information that I had when I when I wrote that little scouting report on him. But it, it does seem like a lot of the, the stuff that those few videos showed um, seems to be pretty accurate with how people are looking at him right now. Um, some of the videos from earlier, 2018, 2017, he was a big body. He definitely looked a little bit out of shape um, and was going to need to 
you know, slim down. And it looks like the more recent videos, he has done that. I would say if I was going to compare him to someone on the White Sox, he would be more of the Aloy Jimenez mold where he's a bat first guy, a big power guy. And I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be that, but I'm just saying that's kind of the type player he is versus a Cespedes, which is more of the five tool Luis Robert comp type guy, Um, left-handed bat, uh, seems to be relatively average MLB speed based on video of a triple that he legged out Um, and somewhat of a slower bat, but big power. He's struggled a little bit in Japan with strikeouts. So he's going to need to clean some things up in his swing in order to catch up to major league pitching. Um, but big potential, the Sox are counting on that bat to be his calling card and that power potential. Um, and adding another lefty into the organization, um, that can potentially fit into that lineup in two, maybe three years, um, is, is always great. I'm going to get, I'm going to get your thoughts in a second, Luke, but I love the fact that even as, uh, Yolke, uh, Cespedes was signing and we knew that Norge Vera was also sort of in the pipeline there and there wasn't going to be room for that class, even before, uh, certainly Vera was announced, maybe even either was announced. Colas was big. He and Luis Robert were both like White Sox, White Sox. He's like wearing a cap. There were like these little teasing little Instagram things. It was like, wait, how can they, you know, how can they, how can this be happening when, you know, the signing period, they don't have any room. Uh, that's tasty to think they're like, you know, really Jerry Ryan's ever gets a bag. is like, he can smoke his cigar from points who knows and just say, you know, they're going to come to us first. It started with Luis Robert who said basically it was Cardinals and White Sox. He knew that, you know, Cardinals, White Sox equal money, maybe even less money come from the Sox. Uh, he knew what the history was with the White Sox. He'd talked enough or known enough of Jose Abreu to know this is the place he wanted to be. And that's just strengthening as every player is being added. Now, uh, uh, Colas is a two-way player. We just drafted a guy last summer. It might be just a stretch in Addison Coffee, but they it's said that the White Sox are going to allow him to uh, pursue being a two-way player, both pitching and I think I want to say third base. Um, is that something that intrigues Luke, or, or just your overall assessment of what you've seen with Colas? Yeah, I think we've seen with Otani. It's really hard. He's dealt with some injuries. Um, he's such a talented bat, and he's obviously has ace potential stuff on the mound too. But it's just tough with dealing with time. You know, he pitches once a week. You know, he starts and then he he wants to DH the other, uh, you know, four or five, six days. I think with Colas, what they could do is maybe never try to develop as, him as a starter. Um, he can kind of be that valuable piece where maybe he's a maybe he's your left or right fielder, maybe he's your DH, and then he's a guy you can bring out of the bullpen. Um, whether that's a you know a lockdown end of the game type of pitcher if that's what we see from him or maybe that's just a guy you bring in when you need to eat some innings um, and he's a he's a passable guy you can throw out there that can keep you in ball games um, so I think they should definitely do their due diligence and just see hey is this a possibility or is the bat a little too special to you know kind of waste bullets on trying to develop him as a pitcher where you know there's more opportunity to get hurt as we've seen with Otani but I think the theme here with both Colas and Cespedes is that they're both kind of raw. We haven't seen a lot of them and they're unique because they're not like 17 year old kids we're signing here. They're 22 and 23. So we think the next couple of years, maybe we'll see them in Chicago. 
Um, but again, both raw, both you kind of want to see more and see what they can do once they get stateside and, and start playing some affiliated games. But there's a lot of, I think, industry-wide separation on what their potentials are in terms of, uh, there's no question with the tools, but it's can they actually perform on the field against high end uh, minor league pitching and then eventually major league pitching. Yeah. And in both cases, you're dealing with quite a layoff with Cespedes. He's been off for a, a year plus. Uh, Colas is going to be, he will be off for a, a year plus because he's going to have to be waiting. He won't even get into the White Sox organization until 2022. And it's a challenge. Hopefully shake that rust off pretty quickly, but you know, that's another hurdle. And these guys have plenty, you know, be it language, culture, uh, layoff, uh, hype, pressure. Uh, you know, it's an enviable position, but it, it you know, it's not a, it's not a gimme that we get Cespedes, uh, starting in 2022 and Colas in 2023. People are already talking that he's going to be with the White Sox in 2022. I don't see how that's in any way possible, but it sure is great to have that kind of, uh, talent just clogging up the pipeline, which we could really use here at the, 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 the 4A or the AAA level. Uh, let's sag, I suppose, into what the rest I got is. one more thing. Oh, Brett. please, Trevor, um, lay it yeah, out. Just, just to touch on the two-way aspect of it. From what I've seen more recently, uh, I think a lot of guys think that he's going to be a bat. Um, I think that you can kind of fall back on that. Potentially, if he fizzles out, that can be kind of his backup yeah. plan. Um, but right now I think he's more of a thrower than a pitcher. That arm is going to definitely play from the outfield though. I saw one video of him throwing out a guy at the plate and he has an absolute cannon out there. So that'll be good to see. Um, as far as the industry consensus, it seems like more guys than not are actually higher on Colas than they are on Cespedes. So we got two guys potentially that have that high potential, but, Still, like Luke said, like you said, haven't played in a while, older prospects and have a lot of question marks too, but they're great dart throws to have. So uh, excited to see what they do here in the next couple of years. Well, it's telling that he, he didn't pitch, I don't think at all, in Japan when he's playing over there. So uh, that, that might yeah. be a little tell that this isn't going to be something that's going to translate uh, into the majors or even the, the minors. Uh, yeah, this is a good way to attack evaluation. And I wish the White Sox had applied it perhaps in the offseason for the major league level. But, hey, who's one and who's two? Let's get them both. You know, let's just go after yeah. them both. All right. I guess as we are running short on podcast time, let's talk about how we see the roster perhaps shaping up. I guess the easy question to attack perhaps is, first off, who that last pitcher is going to be with uh, Jimmy Cordero out with uh, uh, Tommy John and Ronaldo Lopez being sent to Schaumburg to just stretch out because they don't want him as a bullpen arm, apparently for La Russa. Uh, that leaves that 13th spot uh, on the pitching staff open. Do you think, do you have a, a, a sense of who that 13th player might be? I'm going to guess that we're not all going to agree. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, Nick Turley, who they just claimed off waivers from Oakland. Um, I think it's going to, going to end up being a really sneaky, underrated move. I didn't connect the dots at first that he was uh, a Harvard-Westlake guy that also, I'm assuming, was coached by Ethan Katz uh, when he was in high school. Um, so he's an older guy, uh, older, you know, young pitcher. He doesn't have a, a ton of major league experience, but he's, he's 31. But the thing that I really like about him um, – is that according to my expected run value model, he, his fastball was really good. Um, it was actually the seventh best overall pitch type, which sounds kind of weird, but um, it's because it plays so well off his elite curveball that gets um, elite movement. 
uh, from it. And he also tunnels really well. So I posted the other day when, when I, when I saw the signing um, kind of a, a video overlay of him against the Cubs last year, where his, his fastball started at the top of the zone. And um, it, was, it was an overlay with this curveball and, and how long they look uh, like they're the same pitch before they kind of go uh, the curveball goes straight down and the fastball kind of stays up. So um, I think it's, it's a really, uh, you know, interesting pickup and, and something that uh, the Sox are allowing Ethan Katz to kind of work his magic and, and try to develop a guy that, again, he has some backward uh, background uh, previous work with. Yeah. Just seeing Luke's tweet the other day that had me excited about the pickup too. And I wouldn't be shocked if he is that 13th guy in the back end of the bullpen. He's a lefty. Um, obviously, as Luke mentioned, great, great stuff, top of the line stuff. And the only thing that's kind of led to his mixed results so far, it seems like is some command and some control issues. Uh, the walks are high and then the command of those pitches is not the best in the zone either, but um, let Ethan Katz work with him. Jace Fry is a guy that is going to be out for the first few months. Lefty, similar type guy with big stuff, but shaky command. Um, so I think he can fill that role and uh, let Katz um, hopefully work his magic. As they say, Katz can fix him. So we'll see what happens. This is an interesting flyer, given that this is a team that's all in for a pennant. Uh, and you're basically asking now to carry a, a, a 13th arm and sort of learn on the job, work together on their job. They've got a week to do it before the regular season begins. I get that, you know, he's got no options. So if they, if they do try to designate him and sneak him to Schaumburg, uh, it might not work. Uh, but it's just, it's an interesting call. I guess I see the logic in just sort of taking that flyer and saying, okay, let's see how it works. He, he had two walks today in his inning. I think he, he pitched, um, so, you know, maybe not the, the best start, but, but certainly there is that relationship. You, there, there's no confusion as to why the guy's on the White Sox. Um, really for a lefty, a guy I thought do really well, he's already been designated. So he's not coming back. I think Cody Medeiros really acquitted himself pretty well and maybe made him, uh, made himself that lefty who gets called up first, because I think he pretty much took on any challenges given. I know he doesn't necessarily have the, the high end stuff that uh, the Turley's boasting and obviously doesn't have a connection with cats, but uh, I think it's probably safe to say that maybe Turley is the guy, even though that goes a little bit against the grain of, of having 13 guys, you know, you can roll out there and feel really confident in, but maybe you never really do, especially when you're talking about your 13th pitcher. All right, we're running short. So let's just talk on the, on the lineup side. Let me hit you with this one based on these two injuries Angle's out, whether he starts the season on the injured list or not. Uh, obviously, Aloy's out. Um, and that benefits uh, outfielders on the team. Certainly, Billy Hamilton seems now like a lock to, to, to break camp of the team. But who from these injuries, who on the bench or who wasn't going to be on the bench, who benefits the most for these unexpected uh, openings? Who's maybe the guy who ends up becoming that 26th man on this team who wasn't going to be? I think it's, it's probably Zach Collins. Um... I think just from the Aloy injury, I think Collins probably wouldn't have made the team. I think uh, with Angle going down, I think there was a lot of talk that Hamilton's going to make the team as kind of that pinch runner, uh, you know, defensive replacement type of guy. Uh, but I think now that the uh, DH spot is open, um, assuming that Vaughn can play left field, I think Collins makes the team. If they, this week, they, they see Collins in the outfield and say, you know what, it's just not, or I'm sorry, Vaughn in the outfield and they say uh, it's not going to work. 
then it could be interesting because then I think you could see maybe Nick Williams out there who's also had a pretty good sprint. I think he has a uh, a 900 OPS uh, or above, but um, you know, he had a couple, or I think one or two really good years with, uh, with Philly uh, before they signed Bryce Harper and he kind of got pushed uh, to a bench role. But um, I think, I think he could, he could land there if, if Vaughn uh, in fact can't play left field. Who's the lucky guy, Trevor? Yeah. I mean, I, Nick Williams is a guy with a high pedigree. He was a big time prospect in the Phillies organization. I remember reading stuff about him coming up at one point, he was their number two overall prospect Um, and mixed mixed bag in the major leagues. Hasn't really shown too, too much, but I could see that happening as Luke mentioned to get someone in there with outfield experience, but also not just completely punting at the plate like a Billy Hamilton would be and leave Billy Hamilton in that late inning pinch run defensive replacement role. Um, Interested to see what happens with Danny Mendick. Um, He early on in the spring didn't really impress me too much, um, but lately he's kind of come on strong. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. And then Zach Collins, as far as the guy that's going to get the most at bats from this injury, I think he's the clear choice there. Um, I was thinking he potentially was still going to make the team, but his at-bats would be limited. But um, now it looks like that's definitely freed up some some time for him. Yeah, I was going to ask about Danny because I'm not sure that he was a guy who was going to make the cut. But if you've got Leori Garcia maybe in a regular starting role due to these injuries, you've got mm-hmm. no you've got no infield uh, backup, and you'd think you would need some infield backup. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, he probably wasn't a guy who maybe was looking to to make the cut, and, and he might be a guy. He'd be my pick as a guy who sort of squeezes in because you think you might want that flexibility. He's a guy who has played, I think, at least a little bit of left field in the minors as well, which uh, oh, I think is open right now uh, on the south side. My goodness. Um, any other roster surprises to expect uh, come uh, cut down day uh, Sunday Monday? I don't think so. I think we're pretty, I think we were before the Aloy injury, we were pretty confident on, on the group that was going to be out there. And I think now, like we said, uh, kind of last minute ad, maybe Turley and then uh, Collins might be the two, two guys, uh, but there won't be any Ronaldo Lopez that we have to endure in the beginning. So um, there's that. I like the, uh, I like the Nick Williams possibility, but again, it's not really a guy that's going to run out there you're going to run out there in left field right from opening day on a team that aspires to the pennant. We're running short on time. There's so much more we could have talked about. Of course, we could have gone deep into the night and into tomorrow. But for now, I'm just going to thank Trevor Lyons, straight out of Lexington, Luke Smales, rocking it in Cedar Rapids, and me uh, somewhere else. Uh, Guys, thanks a lot uh, for joining. Let's make sure we do this. I'm not going to hold you to once a week, but let's, let's do this real soon. Bubble wrap the rest of the team before next week. <laughs> no yeah, doubt about seriously, it. Seriously, let's just make it to opening day at this point. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, and reading. We'll have more dugout metrics for you as soon as we can get to you.